Narrative. Vision. Film. Cinematography. Storytelling. Music. Digital media. Scarlet Media. You're listening to 50mm, a Scarlet Media lens. Join us as we discuss our perspectives on digital media, filmmaking, and storytelling that inspires us. Sound is one of the most important senses that we have, and whatever we are perceiving can change in an instant based on how it sounds to us. It can change a calm conversation like this to a chilling and skin-crawling dialogue that makes you feel like something bad is about to happen. Luckily, that's not the case. This week, we'll be talking about sound and music in film and media. We explore how music and sound impact us across genres like horror and music videos. We also break down how we approach making music choices for our own projects. This episode also features an interview with special guest Walker Perry. Walker is both a full-time Rutgers staff member who works closely with Scarlet Media and a creative musician in his own right. He discusses making music for work and for fun, where he looks for inspiration, and how simple elements can change the emotional register of a song. But we begin with Scarlet Media. All right, everyone, welcome to the 50mm Scarlet Media Lens podcast. Today we're talking about sound and music, and with us we have Finley. Hi. And Toyin. Hey, what's good, what's good? And me, Wallace. So, how's it? first off, always, how's everyone doing right now? I'm doing great. It's a Friday. We're recording this on a Friday, so I'm ready for the weekend. Same. Yeah, I feel pretty good. Uh, I might go to a restaurant a little later with the friends, so that'll be kind of fun. Oh, that's awesome. That'll be so fun. I just moved. I moved out of my house yesterday, so the last day has been like pretty busy for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. I bet, yeah. So to dive right into the topic, um, like I said, today's the fo- focus is sound and music. Huge part of literally our everyday besides even just the sense music is almost in like intertwined with almost anything and everything we see from commercials movies and to start off i want to ask you guys what are your favorite films or tv shows that have used sound and music really memorably to you or just you think use it really well um yeah i think i can go first um i think the first movie i definitely thought of or i can think of right now is uh baby driver Oh, yes. Yeah, that movie, because music is, like, super integral in that film. Like, I don't know if you noticed. I mean, have you seen that film? Yeah, yeah. You have? Like, the the way they had that film set up, it was very, um, like, the sound design was really, like, meticulous. Where, let's say the character had, like, headphones in their ear and one ear. In the actual theater, the right side of the theater's speakers would have the music, and then the left side wouldn't. So like, oh, let's because he only had like one earphone in, for example. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like that was just like I don't. For me, that was like amazing. Just like the fact that they went so deep in like that. Um, but yeah, so probably like that was definitely first. Because I mean, that whole there was like I remember like a fight scene that they had where they shot the scene to the music. So as they were shooting, this their shooting was on beat towards the song that they were playing, which I'd never really seen that before. So I mean, that's just again like one of those like integral things where like you can really put music and just add that on to, like, whatever you're doing, which is really awesome. Yeah, no, I remember. I think I know what scene you're talking about, but, like, it was crazy when, like, they're, like, going beat for beat for beat with everything. Like, everything feels super choreographed, almost like a dance, but in, like, a real action-y way. It's awesome. Yeah. Similar to Toyin's with music, I actually 
big movies that I always like that you sound is always horror movies. And one movie that I actually think you sound in a way that really surprised me or stuck out to me was the movie Hereditary, which yeah. is weird because usually Hereditary is not a jump scary kind of movie. And a lot of jump scare movies rely on sound really heavily with that big bang or really big oomph um, to scare the yeah. audience. But the way Hereditary did it was it was it didn't feel like a jump scare. It'd be like really small moments of just like that really creeping, almost oozing music that instead of feeling you with fear, it kind of feels with you this sense of dread almost. Like, oh, I'm very uncomfortable with everything that's happening on screen. Yeah. And even the one jump scare that happened in the movie, it was done really smart. Like it got like really, not even quiet, just like everything was normal, like following along a character. And then it was just like this weird click that came out of nowhere that just made my soul jump out of my body. <laughs> Basically, I was like, oh my God, what was that? But it was done really smart. So to me, horror movies and sound kind of go hand in hand. And even in that example, one kind of horror movie even ends up using it better than most others. Because nothing against jump scare movies. They're fun to watch with friends. They're fun to do with it. But it's just, you know, they, they, they rely very obviously on sound rather than like try to use it smartly all the time. The sound effects are really scary and add to the entire effect of the movie like um, spoiler alert for the next 10 seconds, so skip ahead if you haven't seen the movie. But when the daughter's head is, like, chopped off by, like, the pole, you hear, like, a popping sound, and, like, your stomach just drops. It's terrifying. <laughs> and you have, after that, you have that long shot of uh, of the brother in the car, and the, I've, if I'm remembering this right, there's no music. There's no sound effect. It's probably just the sound of, like, the road, and it's just complete silence, and it is terrifying. And then we stay with him in his room and we hear Tony Collette, the mother, like screaming and wailing, but we never see her. But like we're yeah. hearing her, which makes it so much scarier. I recently watched like, a, I want to say a month ago, um, the 80s live action Popeye movie, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is like critically derided. Like it's it's a ridiculous movie, but I think it's like the best adaptation of a cartoon in terms of it is so like off the walls bonkers and part of that is in its sound design um the director robert altman he had everyone sing their their songs live um so everyone singing um is sounds not great admittedly like they kind of sound <laughs> they sound bad singing um but I think that adds to this live action cartoon where you they're dressed in these like ridiculous costumes, but they're singing like normal people, which I think brings like a sense of humanity to this ridiculous world they're in. That's awesome. That's really dope. That actually like is a cool segue into another question that I have for both of you is... When you really think about what you watch, like versus cartoons and live actions, sound really does change drastically from one to the other. We even talked about it with genres between Baby Driver, a very action thriller type movie, to Hereditary, that's a horror movie through and through. So I guess I wanted to ask you guys, how does music or sound change your viewing experience? I think you kind of pointed out before how like certain genres like use sound in different ways. So like I was thinking about how like, you know, a lot for, like, action or really thrillers, movies, whenever there's a really upbeat scene where, like, characters are really doing a lot of stuff, 
Like you'll hear a lot of, you know, upbeat music, you know, that's really going to put you in that moment versus, you know, something like horror, for example, where, you know, you'll see a lot more. You They kind of use that almost same kind of beat, but it gives you a different tone of what the film is trying to make you feel, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've noticed yeah. a lot where I've like seen interviews um, who people who are in charge of sound design, how, you know, a lot of it is kind of just based around feelings, right? Like you want to make a person feel a certain kind of way. Um, if you see a scene that's really upsetting, right, you'll see almost kind of like violins and, you know, like stuff that's kind of meant to get you like in the zone of just like really feeling it, right? And I think it's really important, especially for films and for TV in general, how they kind of allow you to kind of not just see it, but to feel it as well. Like, yeah. I mean, you, you talked before about how, you know, sound is really important and how we don't realize, for example, how much information we take through our eyes, but also through our ears as well. Exactly. And how, depending on how music or the design is kind of put towards you can give you a different kind of feel. I'm trying to think of an example, but like, I know I saw a movie one time where it was kind of almost like a parody, I guess like almost like a satire. Mm-hmm. And like, there was a really like intense scene, but this music was very like... I guess almost like childish, I guess, a little bit. The sounds, the music was kind of a little like childish, but it was meant to kind of be funny, right? It was right. kind of meant to take the duality of a super serious scene, but with really, you know, kind of like kitty music to kind of like play on top of each other, which, you know, in most six senses, you wouldn't take that kind of sound, right? For something super serious. Yeah, but exactly. It worked for that movie because it was meant to be, you know, something where you could look at it and take it as a satire. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Even when you were just talking about, like, what violins, I'd always put in sad music. It makes me think about how, like, if you put a violin over, like, an action fight, I think I've seen, I don't even know which movie I'm thinking of, but I know I've seen the movies where they start putting that sad music. All of a sudden, this fight turns from an action fight to almost, like, some kind of character-changing moment of, like, oh, no, this fight has a lot of meaning right now. This is, is like, this is, like, something that's really hitting home for everybody because this is not a fight they want to be a part of or this fight has a lot riding on it. That change from upbeat music to sad music can, like, change everything for just one scene. How about you, Findlay? I think what's interesting for me in the way that, like, sound and music can change um, a scene is that oftentimes like the sounds we hear isn't the actual sound that something makes in real life. So the easiest example I can think of is like in fight scenes when like in heightened, like more pulpy movies, um, you'll hear someone's bones break, but really that's not the sound of someone's bones breaking. It's the sound artists usually like records, like someone breaking lettuce in half to get that sound of, of bones crunching. Yeah. Uh, so I think what's cool about sound is that pair sound that doesn't match an image, but because you don't know where the sound came from, it matches with the image. Exactly. If that makes sense. No, so, I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you want to have like, um, like I'm, I'm thinking of more like, of animated movies now where you have a character walking and you hear like a tuba going like boom, 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 boom. Like that character's walk all of a sudden becomes like a, like a silly but sad moment. One more question that we could talk about that we've been talking about sound and music and film. How have you guys used it in work here at Scarlet Media or even in your own projects? Like I know Toy and you love, you've told, talked about working on music videos before. So just how's it been in your guys' professional work life? I know recently I worked on a project for Scarlet New Media where 
it was really easy. It was just simply like two. I was kind of just putting together uh, a woman's audio on top of her slides, right? And then just what she was talking about some different some different stuff about a class that she was uh, gonna take for this semester. And it was really cool video. I mean, it was really nice, but you know, without any music towards it, it kind of just was very bland. If that makes sense, like there really wasn't anything to like give it that oomph. And I remember adding music to it, and then it kind of almost gave it like almost like a tourist guy kind of feel. Whenever I have friends or people want to work on a music video, the first thing I always think about is, you know, how does, what can you visually put towards this song, right? Like you don't make the song work for, you don't make the song work for whatever kind of idea you're trying to think of. You make the ideas work for the song, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly, yeah. Like you yeah. try and make it so that it's complementing what you're trying, what the music is actually talking about. So I think it was definitely, again, like one of those hand in hand kind of things. Oh, that's awesome. You're absolutely right. That actually reminds me of the music video for like um, Childish Gambino's This Is America song. That's one of those songs that's like that that video is like a pure product of that song. Every single beat about it is like the idea was like formulated around the lyrics of that song. You can like see it um, that that's how it's done. That's awesome. How about you, Finley? Well, I think at work you you oftentimes get a lot of videos where you need to find like a specific mood. Um, like Tony was talking about, like he found this music that was like good for like making this video sound more exciting, kind of reminds you of like a tour guide. Um, I know for a lot of videos that we get finding the right mood for like the the right song for the right video can be really challenging. Um, so I know a lot of times when we have to make like a promotional video, you have to go into, we use like this website called Audioblocks and, and we have to find music through that. And oftentimes I'll spend like an hour trying to find the right song that has like just the right tone to it because you can put in like different genres. Like I want something that, that's like in a, that's inspiring or I want something that's um, relaxing or something there's there's a genre called corporate on audioblocks <laughs> which confuses me so much i i don't know what the corporate genre means but i oftentimes use it it's tough because sometimes you get an inspiring song and it sounds more like a rock song which is not appropriate for when you're trying to advertise like lifelong learning at reference <laughs> yeah <laughs> like an ac dc type song is not the way to go but you'll find like something that's maybe a little more relaxed and a little more common that's perfect so it's yeah. it's really you got to like you're saying toying with music videos you can't you can't put music f first well actually this is the opposite where you already have the video but now you have to find yeah. the music to add to the video and you can't make the video revolve around the music i definitely i think it definitely works both ways like in this for a sense for like me like you you definitely want to make whatever you're shooting work for the music because you already have the music you know so you already know what kind of vibe you want it to look like i guess versus if you already have the images or the video like you kind of need to make the music especially if you already know the kind of tone you want for that video like you need to make the music fit you need to make the music fit the pictures, if that makes sense. And now, episode hosts Finley and Wallace interview Walker Perry. Walker is a Rutgers alum who now works producing media content for the university. With his background in digital media and music, he's the go-to person in the office for questions on sound editing and creating music. 
we just thought we would begin by asking you, what is your role at Scarlet Media? Yeah, so generally, well, I mean, my job title is Media Specialist 1, but generally what that means is that uh, projects come down the pipeline from a number of sources, and I end up like fielding a bunch of questions from faculty about how to use uh, various editing softwares and also giving a webinar about how to do basic video editing. So that's like half of my job. And the other half of the job is just doing all of the technical aspects of video editing for various projects that, you know, come down the pipeline. I think I first met you outside of Scarlet Media, which is I think I saw your band perform once. Oh, yeah. Either there or you met me at the Fordham Library. Or I met you at the library. Either one. But before I knew you as Media Specialist 1, I knew you as Walker the Musician. During my time in undergrad at uh, Rutgers, I played in one of the basement scene, you know, the famous New Brunswick basement show scene bands. Uh, We went by the name of Erotic Fantasia, you know, being the edgy undergrads that we were. (laughs) Um, You know, COVID-19 has brought this to the end of its uh, logical uh, succession now, but maybe someday in the future we'll get to, uh, you know, get back into a basement packed with 100 random undergrads. How do you find that you're incorporating your music skills into your work life? Uh, Yeah, I've actually been really lucky that people have just been giving me the opportunity to do so. Game research and immersive design, you know, the guys over at Grid have been really, really nice and reaching out to me whenever they need music for one of their projects. I think I briefly mentioned it either to Maka or to Kenny one time that I made music. And ever since then, whenever they need like a backing track on a game or on a project, they, you know, hit me up in my my slack inbox or an outlook and they're like hey you want to make some background music and yeah i i'm always down for that that's awesome it should be noted that walker here is credited for creating our intro and outro for the podcast in season one how do you like find an inspiration for your music when it was creating the intro and outro for the podcast or any other music for work really where do you draw inspiration from so generally i think that my inspiration comes from two different uh areas i'll say so like the first area of inspiration comes from the client you know like you guys tell me like the tone of your podcast you guys are like you know we want something kind of fun kind of uh you know smooth you know we want to have like a uh seductive radio (laughs) lab-esque type intro uh and i was like that that's ideal for me because my second place that my inspiration comes from is generally just the years that I've spent collecting uh, electronic samples of a bunch of vintage synthesizers. And uh, right now I'm using the Arturia V collection plugin, which is like a emulation of a bunch of the pop culture and rock music and a bunch of different genres of music's most famous synthesizers, but they're all remade digitally. And so... Yeah, that's um, generally, that's where my inspiration comes from. Vintage synthesizers and also directly (laughs) from the client. That's really cool. What are you working on outside of work? Like, I know your band has kind of been put to a hold at the moment, but are you working on anything else? So funnily enough that you asked this, 
in three days i have a song that's coming out it's called um it's called and this is you're hearing it first on this podcast because i have not put anything on social media about this at all but uh first look yeah most of the time i would release music as a under the name of erotic fantasia uh to our spotify account that we had set up through the band but you know, since quarantine, I've been spending a lot of time by myself in the house, like I'm sure everybody has. So yeah, I'm releasing something under like a solo project for the first time. And it's called Resonate in parentheses with you. <laughs> and it's, um, it's science based. Science based. Okay. It's, it's about science and energy and frequencies. So that's, you know, just a little teaser of what's to come in a couple of days. You mentioned using like instruments like to kind of make whatever comes to your mind come to fruition. What instruments do you play? Or is there like any instruments that you like really like using or especially fond of? Yeah, so generally, uh, I've been playing guitar since I was seven. Uh, I, took, I took formal lessons for like a couple years with uh, jazz guitar and gypsy jazz, which was, you know, you know, like uh, Django Reinhardt or any of those great musicians from that era of music. Uh, that really inspired me as a young person. But I really do lack the technical skill to play any of that music and do it any amount of justice. So then, and I found that out at a young age, <laughs> that I was just not, not a gifted classical instrumentalist. But when it came to... Uh, I discovered a stubborn passion for using the technology side of the music production industry uh, at a really young age. I think I was like 12 and my mom, you know, you know, the program Sibelius. No. <laughs> well, so it's, it's this old it, people in Mason Gross probably would know it uh, from the music school. And uh, it's like a way to write sheet music. Uh, but then it plays back digitally what the music that you write on the staff, it plays it back. And it's just like um, in like a really corny way, you know, just like straight, like without very much nuance at all, you know, just really robotic sounding music. So yeah, the, the first pieces of music I ever made were in that program. And my mom put me on when I was like 12. That's awesome. Do you find yourself coming back to that era of like creation now as an adult? Yeah, funny you mention it. The creative process for this new song that was coming out, uh, a lot of the time what I do is I'll go back and listen to something that I made a really long time ago that I got really sick of that I didn't like at all. You know, like I'm just like, I'm over this, I'm moving on. But now what, what I've been doing is going back, listening to that with a more critical ear that I've developed over the years for this sort of thing and then trying to adjust the aspects of it that I find annoying now looking back on it. And so, like, I, I'll be recreating, like, various aspects of, you know, this old music that I used to write and uh, trying to make it more uh, competent across many different axes of competency, you know, like mixing, mastering, overall sound quality. I'm curious to know for you, like, what's the difference between listening to something you made then and knowing, well, this is exactly what's wrong with it. Like, I guess, how, how do you know what to improve upon is the question. Yeah, sure. I think that that's a good question. So generally, everything about music is incredibly subjective. You know what I mean? But there are certain there are certain tools in your music toolkit that are just in the audio toolkit that 
have an objective skill level to their use. So using something like compression, for instance, is, you know, you guys have done this since you guys are video editors or using an equalizer, you know, these adjust various parameters of audio and you can make them sound really bad or really good depending on how much experience you have using the tools. Back when I made a piece of music, I had very little experience using those basic tools that are in everybody's, you know, toolkit and wheelhouse if you make music. But um, yeah, so I can just hear things that I'm like, oh, after using compression for many more years now, I would do this thing way differently in the low end. You know, like I would make this sound a lot crisper than it does. You know, it sounds really muddy like anything from like three years ago that I made just sounds really gross to listen to, you know, it's just, <laughs> just sounds weird. So you're saying that changing these more technical sides of the song, like affects the emotional impact of the song. Oh, absolutely. Like if you hear any of that, like old school, like um, Motown stuff, you know, like uh, Marvin Gaye or like just any of those artists, Dion Warwick, like uh, all these amazing recording artists, they were working with very basic toolkits, you know, literally just like analog equipment, compressors, a little bit of reverb, a little bit of plate delay, you know, like these real basic things, but they're able to achieve these amazing effects using a very limited wheelhouse of stuff. I feel like now I'm just starting to get to the point where I've put in my time learning the basics that way I can use them to create these more elegant things that, you know, people who know what they're doing, <laughs> you know, are able to do with the stuff, you know, regardless of the technology involved. I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> On that note, do you have any advice for anyone else looking to create music um, outside of just being super familiar with the programs over time? Is there any like anything else that you would wish you told yourself in the past that would make the process go faster? or just general, this is what you should do if you want to create music better as you get older. I was listening to an interview with um, Benny Blanco the other day. So he's produced like every hip hop song from like the last decade, like, you okay. know, Katy Perry, like firework, like teenage dream, you know, like <laughs> he's just one of these like super famous and prolific producers. Hit after hit. I was listening to an interview with him and his advice to people was it's best to just make something weird that nobody else understands rather than trying to follow verbatim like an established trend. And I definitely, that resonated with me because, you know, like I spent a lot of time playing weird music for my friends and they were like, this is weird. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're right. <laughs> it's definitely weird. I wasn't following any sort of established uh, tradition of making music. I was just experimenting. And um, I think that there's a certain authenticity to that, you know, besides like, uh, I'm sure there are other people that are trying to emulate like a specific genre. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, and also I've achieved no metric of success that would make me any sort of authority on this. <laughs> that, that's, that's the tip that I, I told myself back then is don't be afraid to make something that's just completely out, out of the box. Also, another thing I guess that I would tell myself is that if it sounds like it sounds good, just roll with that. And then save the project, walk away from it, for two weeks and then come back and listen to it again and then change things because time really helps you understand actually what you're listening to and giving yourself a little bit of distance from the project definitely helps 
I guess one more question that I'd have is like, are there any particularly fond stories you have of creating music either on your own or with someone else? Just like something that really stands out. There was a group of friends of mine who would all get together and we'd go to their basement where they had a pair of studio speakers and we'd all like play the stuff we'd been working on that week. And so eventually we got to the point where we were inviting like guest artists from like the surrounding towns over to the basement to hear the stuff that we'd been working on. So there was one time where we had these two, we had a rapper and an R&B singer come over to the basement. They go by the name of Hugo and the R&B singer is Denzel Wilson. And we were just all like messing around playing beats. They heard the stuff that we were were making and they really, really were into it. And I, I just was like super nervous to even play anything for another human being, you know, but to hear two people who like have been doing it for longer than me. Um, actually say they like it yeah be like oh this is crazy like (laughs) that has to be awesome honestly that's that's super cool it was huge it was crazy and then we ended up doing a show in harlem with them as the full band at this like (laughs) at this crazy open mic they uh they invited us to like be the whole five-piece jazz band for this performance from you know this one positive experience (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly sometimes you got to be in the right basement at the right time <laughs> <laughs> that's my real advice be in the right basement at the right, at the right time, time. <laughs> the right music can change the entire mood of a video that's because oftentimes we link sound and music to memory listen to the sound recording i made in france last year For me, this brings me back to sitting on the banks of the Seine, drinking from a water bottle I had bought from a local convenience store after I walked 30 blocks while the sun was setting over me. Music and sound can be so powerful because it's abstract. When it's not tied to a picture, the mind can create whatever image we associate it with. When we connect audio with video, we create a new meaning from our memories and what we're watching. I'll leave you with the sounds of the ocean. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for an episode about animation. Thank you for joining us on 50mm, a Scarlet Media lens. Scarlet Media is a student media team operating from Rutgers Division of Continuing Studies Media Services. To learn more about Scarlet Media, check out the Media Services website at tvstudio.rutgers.edu. We hope you'll join us next time.